Welcome to this episode of WTF Web3, where we separate the crypto utility from the bullshit. So the United States government is absolutely terrified of TikTok, thinking that China is using it as a tool to spy on citizens. We know that a lot of my friends and a lot of your friends have probably left Facebook. And not to mention, a lot of people are just pissed off at Elon and abandoning Twitter. What are we going to do about social network? Well, DSO might be the answer. Decentralization of social will take more, much more. No one has ever built a blockchain that can scale and store content for billions of users. Until now. Introducing DSO. Decentralized social is what's next. And it's finally here. It's a blockchain built from the ground up to tackle Web3 social. I'm your host, Chris Bruce. I'm a five-time venture-backed founder. I am currently the founder and CEO of a Web3 infrastructure company called Blockjoy. Previously, I was at Helium, have a lot of experience in blockchains and crypto. And so looking forward to seeing where this all goes. Today, I have Ash from Deso here to tell us all about it. But first, Ash, can you introduce yourself? Sure, yeah. Thanks for having me on, Chris. So uh, my name is Ash. I work at the Deso Foundation. I'm the growth marketing lead there. So uh, basically, I handle all the day-to-day -day marketing operations, um, communications, you know, partnerships, um, any sort of advertising partnerships as well, and just basically breaking down all the technical stuff uh, that the engineering team pushes out all the time into a uh, simple language, uh, better marketing language, so we can position it well and we can market it better. Um, you know, they're, they're the true like stars of the show. Basically, it's like I'm telling the story of the engineering team and like the amazing stuff that they're doing. And that's basically what, what I do. And there's a few other people on the team as well who kind of support and, you know, um, they do different things for DSO as well. So. Great. Well, it sounds like you have a great overview of what DSO is and some of the exciting apps that are being built and just the ecosystem overall. But one thing we like to do on this channel is we really like to ask our guests to define what Web3 is to them. So I'd love to hear what you think Web3 means and get your take on the definition. Sure. Yeah. Web3 is such an interesting term because it came when everybody was like FOMOing in the bull market. So it's like a term that like I don't know. It's it's a little jargony in a sense. It's kind of ahead of like where the reality is typical to what crypto markets do. You know, the market always gets ahead of reality and then it kind of has to cool off and, and, and then it has to catch up to that. So Web3 is essentially the natural evolution of the internet that's, you know, creator owned and user led. Basically, it's where people can own their content and their digital presence versus like Web2, where they own, you know, our content and digital presence. And that's like the best and most simple definition that I've been able to come up with for Web3. And that's like what it means for me. And that's what it means at DSO as well. Yeah, for me, it's really about taking these core internet protocols that we've used for quite some time that have now started to become quite centralized. And we're starting to see a lot of this around social in particular. I mean, social didn't really have you know, internet protocols well-defined early on, but it's become such a core to us and how we use the web. T to me, it's very important that those things become decentralized. We're able to take out the middle people and make sure that people own their own data. They're not necessarily the product and they're able to use these services without fear of, you know, reprisal or being blacklisted. It's very interesting to see uh, DSO come onto the 
onto the landscape with a specific point of trying to solve some of these problems. So if you don't mind, can you just tell the audience what DSO is? Give us the 10,000 foot view if you don't mind. 100%. So um, to really understand DSO, you got to understand like how traditional social media was built. It was built to generate advertising revenue for stakeholders. It wasn't built so we could like monetize our content or social graph or data or anything. It was, it was built so they could harvest our data, they could sell it to people, and then we could be more predictable and they could sell advertising revenue around like our creations and like our personalities and everything like that. So on Web2 social media, you're essentially just renting space. You don't own anything on Web2 social media, like whether it's a lawn or somebody else, they can, you know, click a button and they can blacklist you and they can delete you and all your data is gone with it. We've seen plenty of examples of that happening multiple different times, whether it's on YouTube, TikTok, Twitter. And the other thing you have to understand too is like when Twitter is like going in there and they're suspending people, they're essentially telling you how to think. Okay. They're basically saying, Hey, no, don't think about this stuff. This stuff is bad. Don't question it. We want you to think this way. So essentially what you're doing on Twitter and YouTube, when you're creating what I believe is like censored content or content that you can't write about or anything like that, you're like opting into censorship basically. And it's capping like the true creativity of like creators and people creating content because they really don't have like a full way to like explore different things. And of course, some things need to be moderated and we'll get to that a little bit later. What DSO is, is it's basically a custom built layer one blockchain built for decentralized social media applications for billions of users. And it basically what that means, it's like a layer one, like Ethereum or Bitcoin or Solana or anything else. Well, Bitcoin isn't a layer one, but Solana and Ethereum. And, but it's custom built just for social media applications. So Ethereum, Solana were built for financial applications. Um, they were built in a specific way to solve for that issue. DSO was built specifically for decentralized social media. It's built on bare metal. Transactions only cost one ten thousandth of a cent. So if you want to scale social media to billions of users, you have to store all sorts of different types of data, right? If you're on Twitter, you're liking, retweeting, following, lurking, whatever else you do on Twitter, it, you know, it changes the state of the blockchain every time something like that happens. You have to store all this different data on a blockchain um, every with every activity, every social activity, okay? So Ethereum and Solana were built for, you know, like a finite state. So the beginning piece of data, which is like your balance and the ending balance when you send a transaction. DSO was built to store all of these uh, transactions on chain so that you can scale social media apps to billions of users, basically. That's what DSO is. It's a creator-led, user-owned layer on top of crypto that allows people to own their content and social graph and data, but censorship resistant. And you have all sorts of different ways to monetize versus the advertising model that we have today. Cause it's, it's a blockchain based business model. So it's like a fee based business model. Founders can launch, you know, businesses on top of DSO and, you know, they can earn money per transaction fee. Creators can get tipped in diamonds. There's no middleman like you mentioned earlier. Right now we have Twitter as the middleman and they tell you exactly what kind of content you can produce, but there's no clear monetization op options. You have to like create opportunities and then you have to monetize those opportunities outside of Twitter. What DSO does, it allows that 
people can build apps on top of DSO that removes the middleman. So creators and everyday users can monetize their audience however they want and founders can build businesses on top of the blockchain. What do you think the differences are for a layer one that's designed for social versus a Ethereum or Solana or some of these other L1s? What, you know, what makes the DSO different than these other blockchains? Yeah, that's a really good question. So what we're dealing with is a finite state blockchain versus an infinite state blockchain, right? So finite state means the state really doesn't change that much. You, you just need a beginning balance and an ending balance. Think about Bitcoin. You, you know, it doesn't do much, right? It, you can send transactions, right? Um, the impact of that simple feature is massive. Look, look at the like um, industry it's spun up. Look how it's changing how everybody thinks about money. But you just don't need that much data on Bitcoin or anything like that. So it's a finite state blockchain. It's a general purpose blockchain designed to do really one thing really well. And then you go over to Ethereum. It's also a finite state general purpose blockchain and it can't scale. So you have to build these layer two solutions so that you know you can scale Ethereum. And they've done a really good job of that. You know, DeFi launched on Ethereum. It changed the way that we think about money, it changes the way that we do finance forever. And now these layer twos are coming along so you can, you know, do some social activities, you know, but it kind of hurts the UX and everything like that because you have, you need, you need another layer on top of it and it kind of limits the overall speed and everything of the transactions. So DSO is what we call a finite state blockchain. The state is always changing. Everything you do on chain has to be stored basically. And again, people don't even think about this. Every like, retweet, follow, if you tip someone with diamonds, if uh, whatever, repost, mint an NFT, trade an NFT, all that stuff has to be stored. And that's why we call it an infinite state blockchain. And that's the primary difference between like, you know, other layer ones and DSOs custom built to store all that data and for an infinite state. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and just to elaborate a little bit, I mean, Bitcoin definitely is, I would say, an, an infinite state machine in, in a way, because it does keep a track of every single transaction, but those transaction sizes are tiny. I mean, in fact, a lot of the controversial history of Bitcoin was whether or not that they, they would allow bigger block sizes and bigger transaction sizes. But ultimately, the whole entire history of every single Bitcoin can be traced back to its, you know, its inception. Um, and then Ethereum, I think, uh, like you mentioned, you know, it might be, uh, you know, more of what you're describing, which is, you know, it's a ledger based system. I mean, you can still find transactions. But the main thing in some of these newer L1s is that they just keep track of a ledger and they keep track of the beginning balance and ending balance. And uh, they're a little bit harder to verify like Solana. Um, most of the history of Solana is stored in Google big table, which is a bit centralized, but considering that the transaction volume is high, you know, they got problems to solve and, and to do those things on, on chain. But it sounds like DSO was really designed specifically for those interactions and those different types of transactions that happen on social media. A hundred percent. Yeah. So that's all we do, but, Basically, the thing is, like, you can build anything on DSO. You can build anything in Web2 on top of DSO as well. You know, anything that's like data, you know, heavy or anything that's like something that's constantly changing and build marketplaces on it. You can build changes on it. You can build fundraising platforms on it. You can build a decentralized Twitter on top of it. So, I mean, anything that's social and then some can be built on top of DSO. The one thing I've noticed, I've looked at quite a few of the apps and Diamond app is one that looks very interesting. It looks like a, a Twitter clone. 
it looks very interesting because each creator seems to get their own token and people can buy that token. I'm not, you know, maybe you could expand on how that works, but it, it sounds to me like that's the mechanism where consumers can reward the resources or the creators in this case for, you know, putting out content. But can you describe that? I mean, I think, like I said, I think Diamond app is, is one of the, you know, the easiest ways to see what a Twitter clone would look like in a decentralized Web3 manner, but maybe you could ex explain some of the nuances of that app. Yeah, I think that's a really good one to start with. So Diamond app, again, it has like the same UI as uh, Twitter, but has like money native features that, you know, that come with it, basically. So going back to like the creator monetization, how Twitter wasn't built for creators to make money, it was built to generate advertising revenue for stakeholders. Diamond's an example of something being built for creators. And the creator coin is like one example of how creators can monetize here. Let's say I'm a young creator on Twitter. Let's compare the two. And I want to just become a creator for, you know, for the rest of my life. I hate my job. I just want to do, I just want to create content, right? You really have to grind to do that. You have to like grind for months and months and months and, you know, build up impressions, build up opportunities, build up connections. And then maybe one day, six to nine months down the road, um, you can start selling advertising or you can sell a knowledge product or something like that, or you can sell a webinar. That model is like very clear. Lots of people do it. It's a really good model, especially if you're trying to raise funds for something uh, as well. I mean, you can meet all sorts of people on Twitter, but like, what if you could just monetize up front, you know? So like going to Diamond, what if someone was like, hey, Chris, like, I heard you're going to Diamond, dude. I want to invest in you because like, I love your content. I love your podcast. Like, I love what you did. Let me invest in you. So you can buy a creator coin of Chris, basically. And you can start investing in your content early. You can buy early. Um, and that generates revenue for you as well. That's essentially like the basics of a creator coin. It's another monetization mechanism for creators on DSO um, on top of just getting like tipped or paid directly through diamonds as well. So if somebody actually bought my creator coin, what, what does that mean for me as a creator? What do I get in return for? Yeah, so you can basically send a, a set of founders reward basically. So it's like, if I'm driving people to my creator coin, essentially like I can send it to zero and be like, I just want people to own a piece of me. Or you can be like, every time someone buys my creator coin, I'm going to take a 5% cut. I'm going to take a 10% cut. I'm going to take a 15% cut. And then this guy, basically, if he buys it, then eventually as my coin goes up, he can potentially sell it. Um, in the future, you know, after a year or two, after I see all this great content that he pushes out and then he can earn income on his initial investment too. But basically every creator coin buy is essentially a cut to you. You could run a campaign and be like, Hey guys, I really need to raise funds. And there's another way to do that on D. So I'll explain later as well, which is really cool that we just launched, but you can be like, Hey, I need to set my creator coin at 30% to start. I'm sorry. I really need to raise funds because um, I really want to produce great content. And then you can just take a cut of that. So that's basically how the creator coin works on DSO. Do they mint a certain amount of creator coins initially? Or how, how does the economics work typically? Uh, no, they don't really like, you don't like mint a certain amount. Essentially, it's just like, as you buy it, you know, it's like, 
that's how many coins you get. There's no like cap or anything to your creator coin. Like people can buy it um, or sell it however they see fit. As a creator, you know, using DSO and the Diamond app, I could essentially get a decentralized version of Twitter. And then instead of Twitter monetizing me, I can monetize myself if I like. And then people that consume my content can support me by buying my creator coin. Do you ever think that there's a world where maybe there's a decentralized advertising network? So you know, consumers or even, you know, creators could opt in to participate in an ad network. I mean, I, I could see it as, as a way for people that maybe want to still get advertising, but it's sort of, again, it takes the, the decentralized approach and cuts out the centralized source, which is kind of making money on both ends. We haven't really discussed like a decentralizing, a decentralized advertising network at DSO, um, but you know, we've talked about like a decentralized forum, essentially, where you could basically sell an NFT and it could be at the top of the forum. So every week people bid on the NFT to, for rights to wear for that week, essentially. And then that's how that forum generates money. Got and it. I think it's like a sense, in a sense, it's like a decentralized advertising network as well. Uh, but we haven't really dug into that too deep at DSO yet. Yeah. I mean, I think it would, it's going to be interesting because if, if you look at the sort of current behavior of people on social network, they almost expect things to be free. They tend to support, I don't know what the percentage is. I imagine the percentage of people that actually support their creator are quite low, but the ones that do seem to be passionate about it. They seem to, you know, like on on Twitch and some of these others, they'll they'll do Patreon, they'll do donations, they'll do all these things. I think it's very effective in live because a lot of times they can get you know, call outs and real time feedback for for the donations they're doing. So yeah, it's, it's it's interesting to see how that behavior might change as consumers get a little bit more finicky of their data and, and what's happening. So in the short term, something like what you described here, the forum thing, or what I would call like a banner ad, essentially, that might be a good mechanism to start to bridge the gap. I think we're kind of getting to a point where like, people, I don't know if they feel like ripped off or anything, but they kind of understand that like, they're just renting space and like they're seeing these social media platforms making billions of dollars and, and they're doing the hard work. Right. And they're not making any money. Um, so I think people are becoming aware of like, there should be a different, there should be a change, but they don't really understand how there should be a change, whether it's like decentralized social media or completely different social media. I mean, social media hasn't changed much in the last 20 years. Right. It's, it's the same model. It's just been, it's finicky. It's like, um, it's flocks of people. So, you know, MySpace at one point was huge. Before that was Friendster and then, you know, Facebook. And now that's coming out of favor and we have Instagram. It, it, you know, it's it definitely sort of a sway of people's taste, I guess. And kind of even at a higher level, it's kind of what do they want to associate? What types of brands do they want to associate with? You know, like none of my kids want to be on Facebook and, you know, my, my mom's on Facebook. And so, uh, and, and then me, I'm just like, yeah, I'm off Facebook because, you know, I don't believe in, um, being monetized and, you know, my privacy being violated there. So it's just interesting. And, and these things are fickle and it's kind of social media is, is more about momentum and traction and then building the sort of moat, if you will, because creators want to go where there's an audience and where they can earn and, you know, I think YouTube is, is big, TikTok 
is is growing because they get a lot of followers, but maybe the compensation isn't there. I definitely think these platforms are really ripe for disruption, especially in a decentralized approach. I've seen a lot of attempts at it, but DSO might be the best so far. So we'll just have to see. But, you know, like your founder says, you know, it's the one killer app. Once that one killer app and it builds a lot of momentum, then, you know, the whole platform wins because of it. Yeah, it's tough because these you know, the social media giants, they have these very strong network effects. So even if like there's some resentment or disdain for the network, it's like really hard to peel people off of those networks, right? Um, and they're designed basically to, you know, get you on the platform and to become habit forming. I mean, you know how, you know, UX work and you have like all these UX research teams working around the clock, 365 days a year to make it easy for you to stay on the platform for longer um and you know engage for longer so it's like very very difficult to create an app to get people off of twitter youtube facebook or whatever else and and going back to that killer app thing it's like you can't really it's hard to predict what that killer app is going to be like what what are they going to be the compounding effects of that killer app did we already make the killer app and it just hasn't compounded enough are we ahead of the game? I mean, you understand how tech works. Sometimes people are ahead of the game. I'm reading this book, Build, by Tony Fidel. Someone created like an iPhone like 12 years before the iPhone was created, and it just bombed because nobody wanted to carry this thing in their pocket yet. And then Steve Jobs creates the iPhone and then knocks it out of the park, right? So it's, it's very hard to predict. We feel like we're doing a lot of the right things um, and we're iterating fast or we're moving very fast. We're building fast, but there's still like an unpredictable upside to it. We're just, you, you can't see. The way that I understand that DSO works is I create an account somewhere. That part I'm not 100% sure of. My data exists in the blockchain and basically any other social app that is built on top of DSO can then leverage and use my data. Is that correct? Yeah, basically. So DSO is permissionless. So like you can like you can sign up through like Diamond or DSify or any of the apps and you have one identity that follows you everywhere. So like you have DSO identity and that essentially enables you to own your content and your social graph. And basically it follows you from app to app. So imagine if you started an account on Twitter, you would have to go to YouTube and start a new audience. We eliminate that cold start problem on DSO. Your audience follows you everywhere. So if you build an audience on Diamond and you sign up, sign up on the social world or whatever, or open fund, um, your audience is with you right right then and there. So um, just one account basically from any app will, will get you started. So your data is created, it's attached to your account. It doesn't live on a specific node somewhere, right? It's completely accessible on the blockchain as a whole. Yeah, it's like an open firehouse. So anyone can run their own node and curate content however they, they see fit. Um, and that allows users to basically choose between different apps and everything um, and choose the experience that they want. It also allows the nodes and the apps to basically, you know, curate or moderate the experience however they see fit as well. So several of the critiques of Web3 that a lot of pundits have, um, especially regarding social media, is that blockchains are immutable. And as we have all probably done, we've always posted something inadvertent or something that we regret. And oftentimes we want to take that off or we may only want to share pictures with a tight knit group of friends. Can you describe how these things work or don't work currently in DSO? Yeah. So 
In the very near future, we're going to have gated content basically. So, and like email your followers and we're going to have like a signal killer type app, like DSO chat that's coming soon. So it's like, um, it's encrypted and everything end to end. So if you want to like send specific content to your followers that way, um, essentially you can do that. Um, and you can kind of limit who sees what because it's gated. So if you have gated content, no one ever needs to see it. That's kind of opens the door for like a web three only fans or whatever. Um, so in regards to that, we have those features coming out very soon. Those are just around the corner. Uh, but I, I totally get like not wanting to like post something embarrassing or, you know, you did post something embarrassing. We see people get canceled and stuff in the past for posting something five years ago. And now people see it today and then it means something completely different, but you know, you can hide your posts on basically any app at the app layer and everything like that. So if you post something that you really don't want anyone to see, you can just hide the post. Uh, but that data like still exists somewhere on the blockchain. So. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the biggest critiques right now of Web3 and social in general is, yeah, being able to remove data. And I definitely think it's a hard problem, but it's probably going to be a critical problem to solve over the coming time because I think it's just a pattern that people do and that, that they're used to. And it seems almost like a must-have feature. Yeah, I think so. I think we're... I think that that's a, that's a problem to solve for sure in the near future, but I don't know when or how that's going to get solved just yet because like maybe that just changes how people post content, right? Uh, maybe it's like people think through it differently. Yeah, unfortunately, most people that post stuff they regret, they often don't think through it correctly. And I, I don't think that's ever going to happen. I think it's just human behavior that or human nature that people are going to make mistakes. So often in social media, you have many ways to sort of recover your account if you lose, you know, lose your password or what have you. And, and I think, I don't think that we should have that expectation today with blockchains and wallets because of the way they work. But there, there is something, you know, in, in traditional cryptocurrency, you know, if I have a fear that my account might have been compromised or my keys might have been compromised, if I'm quick, I can transfer them to a new wallet. Does this capability exist in DSO today? Not yet. We're getting close to it. I think it's like the account abstraction um, term that's been floating around the Ethereum community lately, which is basically like, hey, I have like this main key and then I have these like three sub key accounts. So if my first key gets compromised, then it automatically like, you know, puts account permissions to the sub key or anything like that. Or like you can have different devices. So it's like my iMac can have full permissions. My laptop can only have X amount of permissions because it's more likely to get lost or I might leave it somewhere. And then my phone has, you know, these other permissions. So it's like essentially like limits, like how money can be moved on your account and everything like that. We don't quite have something like that just yet with DSO. We have something called derived keys, which is, is, is essentially like a similar system to that. And you can have sub accounts and stuff. Um, and you can like only approve certain types of transactions. So you don't have to like, cause you have to like give key permissions for certain apps on DSO, but you don't want to give full key permissions so people can like send all your DSO everywhere. You might just need permissions for like a chat app where you can send and receive messages, but you don't allow it to like, ex you know, send your money anywhere. 
And that's basically called derived keys. I, I think crypto as a whole still needs to solve that. Like the account abstract, abstraction thing, there needs to be a hard fork for that. Um, and I think that's a huge sticking point for a lot of people. Like you mentioned, like that's a, a critique. And I think it's preventing mass adoption as well because it's very scary. Like what if you're a content creator and you create all this content and you lose your keys? Luckily for like, so, you know, you have a bunch of different login options, basically. So you can log in with Google, you can log in with MetaMask, you can log in with your seed phrase and everything. So like that kind of mitigates the issue a little bit. But I think blockchain as a whole just needs to solve that. And, and we're starting to solve that with derived keys. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. It sounds like you and your team have been doing quite a bit of work to soften some of these hard edges in regards to UX and some of the behaviors that you know, current social users are accustomed to. So that, that sounds good. It sounds like you, your team has been making really fast progress on a lot of fronts. That being said, what, what is sort of the killer feature that's on the, the horizon? What, what is, what's the next big thing for the DSO protocol that you're looking forward to? Yeah. So we have a bunch of stuff coming on the horizon. So we're currently a proof of work blockchain and we're moving to proof of stake, we'll, which will increase, you know, transaction throughput and everything like that. So it's like right now it's like every five minutes a block is mined. Um, we're going to get that, you know, the the um, benchmark for proof of stake is like three seconds, essentially, is we're trying to get to. Um, we just, we're about to launch something called Megaswap, which is a cross-chain like swapping mechanism for all Web3. That's something I'm very, very excited about. And essentially like we have Uniswap, which works really great. And, you know, whatever Solana has, uh, I think it's Radium, I believe, um, or other exchanges. But basically, what if you could like swap assets across any blockchain? Like what if you could, instead of just like Uniswap, which is just Ethereum tokens. And basically we think that's going to unlock quite a bit of, liquidity and users for multiple blockchain ecosystems, basically. So, and, and we created Megaswap trying to solve our own problem because we're a custom layer one. So essentially we don't have, or we didn't have the network effects that Ethereum had, where you can just like build on on the layer and there's all these different apps. We were kind of an isolated chain. So how do we make it easy for users to onboard in the ecosystem and make it easy for developers to build apps and then onboard users in liquidity? And that's Megaswap, basically. So that's something we're very, very excited about. And then OpenFund is a really, really fantastic platform as well. It's essentially, you can raise money from anyone in the world for, with a few clicks. And it's just a funding platform. Um, you can raise money in USDC, DSO, Solana, Ethereum, Bitcoin, whatever like you want to raise money in. Um, you can do that. And again, it's like it, it only takes like a few seconds to really start a project. Obviously, you have to think through the strategy a lot for the startup or ever, whatever you want to fundraise with. But we're uh, running our entire uh, Web3 startup competition through it right now on Princeton campus. So, we'll, you know, we'll get results on that soon. But we've seen some early projects like uh, we saw this one creator um, create like a course about DSO and he raised like 5k just to fund his content through there. So another cool project on OpenFund is like uh, Post to Earn DAO, which is like through um, the social world. It's an app in our ecosystem and it's basically a concept where advertiser revenues are distributed to creators instead of social media corporations. So Post to earn DAO basically like they 
distribute money um, throughout the different ecosystem for highly engaging content and, and just reward creators for that. So it's kind of like the decentralized advertising network you were kind of talking about, maybe the early stages of that. One really cool thing, we just pushed a hard fork, the social network hard fork, and that enables like an infinite amount of use cases on chain. But one of the coolest use cases it's going to implement is decentralized verification system. And basically right now you see like Twitter struggling with verifications and blue checks. We charge for them. Like, how do we give them away? Old Twitter was like a bunch of people in the back room, kind of like trying to figure out who gets them or who doesn't get them. You don't know the process or anything. So decentralized verifications is basically where like you put that into the hands of like trusted community members and the apps. So at an app level, you can basically say if this person did X, Y, and Z, then they get verified. If this person knows these five people on our app, because these five people are really well known, we're going to give them a blue check. There's an infinite amount of ways you can kind of like give blue checks and everything. And then we're going to revamp creator coins as well. That's something that's like one big request from the community is um, a better creator coins. And we're going to kind of release that in you know, Q3, I think, Q4. We're talking to a couple uh, NFT platforms to integrate um, a chat functionality, but that's still pending and we don't have anything concrete there. In terms of the identity piece, the, the way I look at it is that most of these apps are kind of web two apps essentially, right? There are front ends that are running and being served up. And then the whole data layer is on the blockchain. Is that the right way of thinking of it? Yeah, I would say so. So like there's the blockchain, which is like immutable essentially. And then like you have this app layer that builds on top of it. Um, and then they kind of decide like how they want to moderate and, you know, what they want to do with like the data and everything. Okay. In, in, in terms of YouTube, which me personally, I love YouTube. I think it's great. I think there's tons of content there, but I definitely feel pains around YouTube. I definitely would love to see that be decentralized because I, I really think that people are so beholden to the algorithm and even me, you know, my watching behavior and patterns are really affected by the, the YouTube algorithm. I, I don't think that it surfaces content very well for me as a consumer. Uh, and I've heard a lot of creators complain about it and some, you know, some creators are doing great, but it, again, I think we're sort of beholden to a centralized entity to, again, you know, they might, they might just deplatform somebody uh, demonetize them. And, and like you said, you know, they've, they've got years of work there. Is DSO a potential replacement for YouTube now or in the near term future? You know, I think it could be in the future. Like we're in talks with live peer to collaborate on this, but I can't really give like additional details on that right now, but all the same concepts that are like readily available on like a diamond can be readily available on a YouTube type platform on top of DSO. And essentially like the problem is like, we don't really know how the algorithm works. We have like an idea. Um, but like, if we could like open source the algorithm or whoever built it and it was like completely open source and people could kind of like review it and make sure it's not doing shady stuff. I think that would like solve a lot of the problems that people have with YouTube and everything. But 100%. So, like, DSO was created for apps like this. Like, all the same, like, money native features and, you know, censorship resistance can exist on, like, a video platform on DSO as well. 
that's community run um, and creator led. The YouTube algorithm is designed to probably increase YouTube's monetization for advertisers. I mean, the only way I can think of it is like, I, I don't think that they would ever change algorithm if it didn't increase revenue for them. So I think, I think they're, you know, incentive is clearly aligned with themselves. So I think everything about the algorithm is designed around that. And, and in fact, if you think about the way it works today is now shorts are monetizing and they're really pushing that probably because YouTube is feeling a tremendous amount of competition from TikTok. And so they're using their platform and their algorithm to change the creators and the user's behavior to compete with uh, TikTok. Yeah. YouTube does a really great job of sucking you in to like a rabbit hole of videos. You know, you can put one on and then it does a really good job of recommending and like keeping you engaged that way, which is very addicting as well. But it's so interesting how Google is like scrambling to combat all these threats, right? Because YouTube is essentially Google. So they have shorts and then now AI popped up. Now they're trying to combat, you know, chat GBT and open AI and stuff like that. So it's very interesting to watch them scramble because they know that things are changing a little bit, but they're so big and they have so much like engineering talent. They almost, this is maybe the first time in history that like a massive company like this could actually pivot and kind of like save themselves. I feel like it'll be interesting. I mean, this is the innovator's dilemma. If you, if you want a good book to read that this is classic example, this is something that Steve jobs uh, talked about a tremendous amount uh, during his tenure at Apple, Apple, but yeah, just go read the innovator's dilemma. This is exactly what happens. Big, uh, big companies, you know, they, they tend to be focused on what makes them good now and they, lose you know they basically drop the eye from the ball of what where things are going and they're they're afraid to disrupt their own selves and so because they have a cash cow they don't want to do anything to disrupt that cash cow but oftentimes you need to disrupt that cash cow in order to stay relevant with where the industry is going so that's a classic yeah classic but i i think i think the the net story here is that the incentives are more aligned in a decentralized network for the consumers and the creators because you want them to create and people to consume. Whereas I think the incentives in a more centralized approach are more aligned with what's the best interest of that entity, probably specifically around you know revenue. So I, I think I don't think the incentives and the algorithms would be identical for YouTube and say a decentralized version of YouTube. Yeah, those are all good points, 100%. The last questions I have are, are one, just, you know, I, I read that, you know, one of the things with blockchain is the amount of data. And so some of these posts, you know, with video, maybe not videos, but images and stuff, where are those stored if they're not stored on the blockchain? Yeah, so it's flexible depending on the, like the node provider. So currently, like it's IPFS or we were centralized solutions like Google Cloud. Um, we're moving to blob storage model in the future so we can store them directly on chain. That's going to be like one of the updates in like Q3 or Q4. So essentially, yeah, we have to store them in centralized entities right now, but um, we'll be decentralized in the future. You know, considering that DSO is a fantastic Web3 project, it's, it's, it looks really cool. What other project do, projects does Ash, you, like in the Web3 space that look interesting? Um, a web three, like only fans, not necessarily for like the porn or anything like that. 
But whoever really solves like a Web3 OnlyFans, um, I think it could be really, really, really big for Web3. That's like something we talk about at DSO a lot is who's going to solve that? Are we going to solve that? Or is it going to be somebody else? So tell me who's going to solve Ticketmaster. Because to oh, me, yeah. that's that's the only real use case for NFTs is, is to put Ticketmaster out of business. Yeah, I mean, I would love that. But uh, do you know of anybody? I don't, yeah, but it seems like such a perfect case for NFTs. It does, it? Yeah. It, it, it's so perfect because, you know, when I go to a show, I can be guaranteed that this is a valid and real authentic ticket. Um, nobody can use it but me. You know, if I want to resell it, I could. If the artist wants to make some sort of profit or some sort of transaction fee on the resale, they could. It just has a tremendous amount of benefits, I think, to the consumer. And, yeah. you know, for the artists, I think it's great, too, because, again, you're just cutting the middleman out. And if if the platform works, artists could come on board and they can work directly with venues and, you know, they can all basically get more profits and probably substantially a lot lower cost to consumer because, you know, Ticketmaster is just absurd these days. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah, I agree with that 100 um, percent. That's Sounds like you need to start something like that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm busy with Blockjoy. I, you know, I, I think my problem is, is like, hey, we need more people to run nodes and we don't need them running in, you know, AWS or on the cloud. They need to be distributed so that we can keep the decentralized infrastructure going. So yeah. uh, focus on that with Blockjoy. But, you know, yeah. Ash is great having you here today. I, I really love all the things that are going on with DSO. I'm really impressed with the momentum. I'm super impressed with all the, the social apps that are out there. Diamond app looks really interesting. You know, a lot of those projects really look uh, pretty impressive. And so I hope our, our listeners will go out and, and check it out. We'll sign up and, and start to use it. We'll definitely bring our show over there as well. And um, yeah, it's, it's been great. Is there anything you would like to share with, with the audience? One last message about DSO? Well, first off, thank you so much for having us on or having me on. Um, yeah, I just think like we are entering shipping season and like DSO is an ecosystem you really want to pay attention to. We have a lot of exciting stuff that we're about to ship. If you go to DSO.com, it's at the bottom. That's our roadmap. And I believe we're doing a lot of disruptive things in Web3 compared to other chains and other projects. Like we're technologists at heart and we're always trying to push it as hard as we can and like make something like really cool. So keep an eye on Ditho, um, check out our roadmap and, and thank you so much again for having me on. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank everybody else at Diso for all their hard work. Thank you our audience for listening to another episode of WTF Web3 where we separate the crypto utility from the bullshit. Thank you. <laughs>